I am so glad to be back with you. What did I learn about the Lord during my illness and recovery? Well, stay with me and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Hello, friends. Welcome to Open Line with Dr. Michael Ray Dunlick, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. I'm Michael Ray Dunlick. I'm the academic dean. I'm also the professor of Jewish studies at Moody Bible Institute. I'm so glad to be back sitting around the radio kitchen table with you, taking your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. If you have a question and you'd like to call, the phone number here, 877-548-3675. Let me give you that number a little slower. You can write it down, 877-548-3675. I've been out for the last two months, so grateful for the uh, for Tricia McMillan, who's kind of kept uh, manning, captaining the ship here, and she's arranged for a couple of old broadcasts, uh, classic open line broadcasts from Christmas and New Year's and things like that to be rebroadcast. She's also worked with our guest hosts for the last couple of weeks. There was uh, Mike Van Lanningham, Cisco Cotto uh, a couple times, and then also Mike Fabaras a couple times. So grateful for them and for them stepping in for me. Really appreciate that. Uh, again, let me give you the number if you want to call, 877-548-3675. Trisha is our tr- producer today, as usual. Bob's handling all things uh, technical, and Anthony's answering the phones. Well, now it's time to go get your cup of coffee, which I have right here in front of me. Thank you, Trisha. Open your Bible, because we're about to study the Scriptures together right around the radio kitchen table. But before we get to your questions, let's talk about what I learned. There's probably more that I've learned, but this is interesting. After surgery, and really after some really serious post-surgical complications, I am grateful to the Lord. He restored my health. I'm back on the radio and back on the job as academic dean at Moody. I found that Psalm 30 captures three lessons we can all learn when the Lord delivers us from illness. Here's the first. God answers our prayers for deliverance. Listen to Psalm 30, verses 1 through 5. I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from among those going down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may spend the night, but there is joy in the morning. Now, we know that not everyone is healed when we pray, but the Lord hears every prayer, and when he chooses, he does indeed raise us up. The Lord delivered me from death, as the psalmist says, you spared me from going from among those going down to the pit. And it was rem- I was reminded about what Warren Wearsby said, we are all immortal until our work is done. I'm guessing the Lord decided my work isn't done, so he answered my prayer for deliverance, and I'm really, really grateful for it. Second, God grants us life so we can praise him. Here's what Psalm 30, verses 6 through 10 says. When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, 
I was terrified. Lord, I call to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. Let's be real. When we read this verse, I'm reminded that God doesn't need us to praise him. If we don't praise the Lord Jesus, as he said, the very stones would cry out. But the psalmist says, if I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? When the Lord grants us life, as verse 9 says, we can praise him and proclaim his truth. If I were to ask, what's God's will for my life? This verse makes it clear. It is so I can go on praising God and proclaiming the truth of his word. That's what God wants of my life now that he's granted me life. Finally, third lesson, God turns our stress and sorrow into joy and gladness. Listen to the conclusion of Psalm 30 in verses 11 and 12. You turn my lament into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. God's answers to our prayers for deliverance should make us even keep us joyful. There's someone in my life who seems to be a source of stress and trouble almost all the time. Just yesterday, I was reminded by my friend that I need to choose to focus on all these good things that God has done for me, turning my lament into dancing and my clothing and clothing me with joy rather than becoming caught up in the challenges of this stress creator. As Tim Hansel titled his book, You Gotta Keep Dancing. And that's what I intend to do. Psalm 30 is a great reminder for us to pray when we face serious challenges, praise when we're delivered, and to persist in staying joyful. That's the three great reminders uh, of uh, this. I'm sure there are other lessons I have learned and will learn that will become apparent. I'm not sure I'll get the chance to talk to them, but, but Psalm 30 was a great reminder for me. Uh, before we go to the phones, I do want to mention our current, our new resource for the new year. At the new year, people often start Bible reading programs. I encourage them, but they very quickly become discouraged. I think it's usually when they hit Leviticus. Uh, people become discouraged. And it's because some people think the Bible is just too complex to read. But God never intended to frustrate us. If reading God's Word intimidates you, then I have the perfect resource for you. It's called Living by the Book. It was written by master teacher Howard Hendricks. He was my professor at Dallas Seminary who taught me, and he thought taught thousands of other students how to study the Bible. That's what this book is about, how to study the Bible. And this book will give you confidence to read God's Word with understanding, and, and it will help you see the Bible's relevance to everyday life. Uh, Prof. Hendricks used to always say, you haven't uh, studied until you've applied. So he wanted us not just to understand the meaning of the text, but to apply the text to our lives. Uh, that's a great book, and it's yours when you give a gift of any size to OpenLine. All you have to do, uh, and we want us to say thank you, so we'll send you this book. Uh, when you uh, would like to receive this, uh, you can give this way. You can call 888 888- 
844-644-7122, or you just go online to openlineradio.org. But remember, when you give, ask for Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. Well, we are going to go to the phones, uh, and we're going to start with Thelma in Fort Myers, Florida, listening on WKES. Welcome to Open Line, Thelma. How can I help you today? Good morning, Michael, and glad you're back. Uh, Thank first you. time caller, long-time listener, and a fellow Brooklynite as yourself. Oh, good. Um, my, que- <laughs> my question is that I have a family member who I have obviously offended. I have apologized numerous times. They are Christian. They say, you know, oh, it's okay, I forgive you, blah, blah, blah. But they still treat me, you know, with the left foot of fellowship. Mm-hmm. And I've tried very, very hard uh, to, you know, just overlook it. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I still feel bad because, you know, how many times do I have to apologize and yeah. and be treated poorly? There's a proverb that says, a brother offended is harder won than a walled city. Meaning, uh, when we offend someone, even when they give lip service to forgiveness, it's hard to win them back. You know? Right. Uh, and uh, it's it's in a walled city. You know, the great defense of a city was the walls around it in ancient times, and that's what uh, uh, caused people to, I think, uh, that, that's what this proverb's talking about, that a brother offended is harder one than a walled city. You know, it's, it's, it takes a lot of effort to defeat a walled city. Uh, and so there's a couple things I would suggest. One, uh, I would try one more time, get together, meet with them, and then uh, just tell them how sincere you are in your, uh, in your apology how sorry you are. Also, see if there's any restitution you can make, any way you can make it up to them to show how sincere you are. That's one of the things in the Bible there. You know, the guilt offerings were restitution offerings. So not only did they provide atonement before God, but they provided restitution for the person who was sinned against. And so uh, I think that that's something that that sometimes we forget, that one of the ways that we can uh, really create a restored relationship is with an attempt at finding out what you can do to restore, uh, what kind of restitution you could make. Uh, and then the, the last thing is when you put every effort you can into this and it still doesn't resolve, you just have to remember Romans twelve eighteen, and And this is something that's a little bit harder, uh, but it's something that I have found that some people just can't be restored. They can't be, they won't really ever forgive, and that's their problem, not yours. You know, that's sure. that's that's important to remember. And Romans twelve, eighteen says, "If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone." Meaning, whatever you do, it you've made every effort to to bring reconciliation and peace. If possible, you know, do your best with that. Once it's not possible, you just, you know, God bless them and, and just, you know, don't be hostile, don't be angry, but just right. uh, let it go. You know, that's what I would say. Uh, but th- that's what I think. I, I think, first of all, uh, just remember 
that it's it's a challenge. That's the first lesson from the proverb, which I can't remember the reference. My wife will text it to me in a moment, and you'll hear it. Uh, a brother mm-hmm. offended is harder one than a walled city. Uh, but it's from the book of Proverbs. So remember, it's a challenge. It's hard to win someone once they've been offended. Secondly, make a second effort uh, or a third or a fourth or how many efforts you've made. But this time, include the idea of restitution. And thirdly, if it doesn't work, then just trust that, that you've done all you can and you've done everything to live at peace if possible. Okay? Amen. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, glad that you're back and that you continue to recuperate. Thank you. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for for that. And by the way, I want to say thank you, not just for those words, but there were people who I was so surprised when uh, when it was mentioned on the radio that I was out recovering from surgery and had some issues. Uh, I got all these cards at the Moody Bible Institute address, and I am really, really grateful for it. And uh, I, A lot of people posted on Facebook that they were praying for me and uh, I am grateful for Amen. every prayer and every kind thought and uh, every every good wish that I received. And so thank you, Thelma, for that and for everyone else who's listening who did that. Thanks so much. Uh, well, we're going to go to a break now. Thanks for your call, Thelma. When we come back, look up Proverbs eighteen nineteen. A brother offended is harder one than a walled city. We'll come back with more of your questions in just a moment. Uh, you're listening to Michael Radelnik right here on Open Line. Stay with us. We're coming right back. months. I'm really grateful for that, and I'm glad to be with you today. Uh, my name is Michael Rydelnik. This program is called Open Line. If you have a question about the Bible or God or the spiritual life, just give us a call, 877-548-3675. Feel free to call with your question about the Bible, uh, whatever it may be, or if you want to know something about what people call doctrine, I think is those are truths about God. So if you have a question about God, or if you just want a little help in your walk with the Lord, about the spiritual life, this is the time to call. Really appreciate it uh, that you're listening. Uh, before I go right to the next call, I do want to mention that I was one of the things that amazed me so much while I was out was that we had, well, I think partially we had some great guest hosts, uh, they did a fantastic job. And there were some really good rebroadcasts of of uh, all time favorite programs, and so that was really great. But our kitchen table partners more and more responded, even while I was out, which that really made me happy because it showed me that they valued what this program is doing, and uh, not just uh, me personally, I, which I appreciate. Of course, that people might like me, but. The, the thing that I really appreciated was that people kept on uh, joining up as kitchen table partners so that they could be part of the team here. You know, we've got a great team that works here. I, I don't do this program alone. And even when I'm not part of the team for a couple of months, uh, people still want to join up and, and keep us on the air. And I so appreciate it. Uh, if you become a kitchen table partner, what that means is giving on a monthly basis for a year uh, to open line. So, uh, that we can you know, count on your, your support, keeps us on the air. Uh, it's so, this partnership 
is so important. I hope you'll consider if you're listening, you value this, you're a regular listener, and, and this has helped you in your walk with the Lord, maybe you'd consider becoming a kitchen table partner too. And if you do, I send out a special audio Bible study every other of the month prepared just for our kitchen table partners. It comes in the mail, email, you click on it, listen to it. It's about five minutes and you get to have a little time in the Word with me. That's just for our kitchen table partners. Become a kitchen table partner today. All you have to do is call 888-644-7122 or you can sign up online at openlineradio.org. So we're going to talk to Gaston and Pampano... Pompano Beach, Florida, listening on WRMB. Welcome to Open Line, Gaston. Good morning. Hey, you know, I'm coming down to that area uh, on January 19th and 20th for a... Yes, I heard. It's a joint conference. I'll let everyone else know who's in the South Florida. Even if people are in uh, Central Florida, they could drive over. Uh, It's a special conference about standing with Israel, and it's going to be... January 19th and 20th, it's a it's a Moody Radio joint conference with Chosen People Ministries, and uh, it's down in Boca Raton, and uh, I'll be speaking, and also William Washington, our Vice President of Student Life here at Moody Bible Institute, he'll be speaking, and uh, Rich Freeman, who is the Vice President of Chosen People Ministries, will be speaking. Also, on Saturday morning, we'll be doing a two-hour live program with uh, a live audience, and they'll be asking the questions. I'm pretty excited about that. Trish will be there. I know everyone goes to those live programs so they can meet Trish. So uh, that's that's just a great time. I love doing those programs. And so uh, if you're in the Florida, South Florida area, and you want to join us, January 19th and 20th, just go. Do we have it linked on our website, Trisha? Oh, Trish is adding it to our website right now. So if you're interested, you can click on that and uh, find out more about the conference in January. Go ahead, uh, Gaston. What's your question? Well, it's two questions. They're both about the Levites. I heard for the first time, and I wanted you to see what your your take is on this, that the Levites had to, when they did the work of the, the ministry in the tabernacle and in the tent of meeting, that they have to retire at the age of 50. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, it's in the Bible. Uh, uh, You have to go back and read the the Torah again. Numbers 8, here's what it says in verse 23, the Lord spoke to Moses, now verse 24, in regard to the Levites, from 25 years old or more, a man enters the service and the work at the tent of meeting. But at 50 years old, he is to retire from his service in the work and no longer serve. He may assist his brothers to fulfill responsibilities at the tent of meeting, but he must not do the work. This is how you are to deal with the Levites regarding their duties. So, so that's that's a biblical direction uh, about a 25-year term for being a a pre uh, Levite. That's that's what it's about. So, what's your question about that? Well, now Zechariah, the one that the angel made dumb because he didn't believe, was he under fifty or was he assisting? What would be your? Answer I think to that? he was under fifty. 
you know, he okay. he was uh, an older dad, but he was actually serving, and uh, okay. the, you know, uh, I I became a dad for the first time when I was about twenty five or twenty six, so that's I think a, a fairly normal age, uh, okay. and so uh, he was older. So if he was in his forties, for example, he'd still be serving, but he would have been an older okay. dad. Uh, okay. Well, okay. And question. and the reason for it, I I just I I've always thought this is that being a, a Levite was a lot of work. It was heavy lifting, and uh, I think that it was just because of that. Uh, it's sort of like today we often have about a twenty-five year term or twenty-one year term for police officers. Uh, they don't they're not forced to retire, but uh, it, it's a hard job. And uh, therefore, there's a limited time uh, for for police officers to serve if they want before they can get a pension. And the same thing with the military. And the same, there there are hard jobs, and that's that's I think what this was. This is a very hard. It was very demanding physically. And so uh, I know that I am past fifty now, and I don't have the strength I did when I was in my forties, even. So that's what I think it was. That that helps me a lot because I always thought Zachariah was older, but now I, you know yeah. that that helps me a lot. All right, I Great. really appreciate uh, really appreciate your time. Great, thanks, thanks for your call. Uh, appreciate it. We're going to talk to Les in Seville, Ohio, listening on WCRF. Welcome to Open Line, Les. How can I help you today? Hi, Michael. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. My question regards. Um, in the time of Jesus, when he was talking to the woman at the well, and he said that she had had five husbands, and the one she was with now, she was not was not her husband. Mm-hmm. What did Jesus consider a legitimate marriage in that time? And then also back in the Old Testament, sometimes it would just say, "So and so took so and so to be their wife." Yeah. And so I'm just curious as so, to what requisite we, there was. We know with Jacob, for example, uh, he brought her into his tent. It doesn't say there was, uh, he brought first, he was thought he was bringing uh, uh, Rachel in, into his tent, but he brought Leah because right. I think he was a, a little happy, let's put it that way, from uh, the, the, the celebration. It appears, therefore, that uh, that it seems to me that there must have been some oath, some vow, some ceremony that took place and some celebration before the consummation of the wedding. That's why uh, he was he was like in that condition that he was in. Uh, you know, it, later on, uh, it does appear that there is some sort of recognition, some public recognition uh, when, when Boaz takes Ruth as his wife. So it's not just that he takes her into his tent or into his home, but there's some sort of formal uh, pers- uh, perspective on that. By the time you come to the first century, in Judaism, uh, there was the formal uh, betrothal followed by the vows. Uh, that's that's uh, the way Judaism, and I think that's what the Lord Jesus recognized as marriage, uh, that there would be the betrothal, then followed by the vows, uh, and so uh, a, 
it appears that, that what the Lord Jesus... Now, the Samaritan woman had similar kind of rules, but not the same, but he would be recognizing that there was a, a formal statement of vows, and the last man she was with, she was not... Uh, she had not made those vows with. She was just living with him. That's what it sounds like. So that's... But I do and think, so for us today, I think that there needs to be... Uh, a recognition that whatever the legal responsibility is for making a public declaration of marriage, whether it's uh, taking vows before a judge or b- before a clergyman, uh, that that, as you make your vows uh, and sign the document, that's what makes you married. Right. And so then, like with the woman at the well, with Jesus' view on marriage and divorce, it was only considered legitimate divorce and remarriage if there was unfaithfulness. And the Apostle Paul also reflected that. Yeah. So are we assumed that that woman had unfaithful husbands five times? And- no, it doesn't sound like that to me. It sounds to me, you know, remember in the first century they were different. They weren't living by the, the standards that the Lord Jesus had for marriage uh, and divorce. And so uh, it was much easier in, in Judaism, I know far more about Judaism than I do about Samaritan, but in Judaism, uh, it was just the husband issuing a bill of divorce, uh, and that was sufficient with witnesses uh, for a divorce for any reason. So, uh, yeah, that uh, I don't think we can assume that she was uh, legitimately, in Jesus' words, divorced. Hey, thanks for your call, Les. Thanks for your, we'll be right back with the mailbag in just a moment, so don't go away. Welcome back to Open Line with me, Michael Rydelnik. So glad to be back with you. Here comes Trisha McMillan. She's dragging the mailbag, the FEBC mailbag. I'm so grateful to Far Eastern Broadcasting Company that partners with Moody Radio to help bring you Open Line. And you can get a deeper perspective on how the gospel is advancing throughout the world in the most unreached countries through the weekly podcast called Until All Have Heard with Ed Cannon. All the details for this podcast and much, much more about FEBC's extensive outreach can be found at this website, febc.org, febc.org. That's uh, the place to go to find out about that. Uh, Hey, you know what, Trish? We ought to... uh, Welcome, Tricia. I'm glad to see you Thank you. It's nice Uh, to see you, too. We ought to get Ed Cannon from FEBC on sometime just to talk about uh, the... uh, the mailbag and why he uh, really supports Open Line. And he was the first one that ever said he wanted me on the radio when he was the vice president of Moody uh, and overseeing radio. He said, he said to me one day after class, he says, I, I'd like to hear you on the radio. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, that's interesting. So, <laughs> And he's been a longtime listener to Open Line even before you were on the air. Yeah, he used Pastor, to Pastor Cole, Cole was on the air. Yeah, yeah. he used to yeah. listen to Open Line then, yeah. too. Yeah, we ought to get him on. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, okay. I'll work on that. I'm giving her work for the new year. (laughs) There we go. Hey, happy new year. Happy new year to you, too. We haven't seen each other for a while. No, it's been like two months. I was looking back through the calendar, and I was like, oh, it's been, I think, November 4th. Yeah, that was a long time. It's been a really long time. Yeah. It's really good to see you. Yeah, and uh, you know what? It's, It's just like, you know, like getting back on a bicycle. No problem. You know, I'm 
I feel like so far everything's just normal. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. you made it that way. Thank you so much for all you did. Well, and thank you to the listeners for praying too. Um, yeah. For those who missed the very beginning of the program um, or have kind of tuned in sporadically over the last two months, um, we've had some guest hosts filling in for you while you recovered from some surgery yeah. complications and you're back. Yeah. And we're happy you're here. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. And uh, by the way, if, if you just turned it, tuned in now, go back to the the Moody Radio app later or to the uh, website or even if you if podcast. you can podcast mm-hmm. it, you can catch the opening word where I talked a little bit about Psalm 30, which I think was a really encouraging verse to me. Uh, I read it to Eva today, and uh, she's like, oh, let me write those down. And she, <laughs> it was kind of fun. Okay, well let's let's uh, let's talk about some of the FEBC mailbag questions. All okay? right. The first question is from Judith in Illinois. She listens to WMBI and wants to know if you could explain the chronology of the birth of Jesus. Um, so more in terms, there's a lot between Matthew and Luke of different events that are, um, yeah. that are happening, and so you've got him being Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He's circumcised on the eighth day, and she's not, you know, was that in Bethlehem or Jerusalem? He's presented at the temple, which I assume was Jerusalem, um, after Mary's purification, then visited by the Magi. Where was that? Um, Are they traveling back and forth? How far is that? (laughs) So kind of just a a geography lesson, I guess, and a time frame of, um, for those of us not familiar with Jewish customs at a birth, Sure. How, um, where are, how long are these things, and were there certain places they had to be done? Okay. Well, I think one of the biggest issues, as I think about the, what the Scriptures say, uh, even near the end of the Luke narrative, uh, it says after he was—and I'll, I'll talk about this in a moment, but uh, the, the dedication. But it says after he was uh, uh, dedicated— uh, when they completed everything, this is Luke chapter 2, verse 39, when they completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was with him. That's 239 and 40. And people say, wait a minute, there's nothing about going to Egypt, there's nothing about the Magi, right? Right. So, well, uh, so that's why I think people have questions about the chronology of everything. Uh, I always say uh, it's the Magi visit and the the flight to Egypt took place between verses 38 and 39 and Luke didn't think it was significant to include, which is that's what happens with different writers. They will include and exclude certain things. Okay, so what happens first? You've got the Annunciation to Elizabeth, uh, then a few, uh, several months later the Annunciation to Mary. So one was about the birth of John the Baptist, the other is to Mary. Obviously, the pregnancy for Mary, or as her real, you know what Mary's real name was? Miriam. Yeah, yeah. I I have to remind myself to say Mary on the air, but I always think of her as Miriam. I have a sister named Miriam, so. And this is, the difference in the names is because of what? Hebrew versus Greek. Okay. Yeah. Mary is the Greek yeah, version and, of Miriam? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so... Anyway, so then she uh, gives birth. There's a some sort of taxation that causes the requirement for Joseph, who thought about divorcing her, but the angel of the Lord comes, the angel comes and tells him not to divorce her, take her as his wife. And he does, but he doesn't sleep with her. Uh, 
until after she gives birth. Uh, that's what the text actually says, which there are many people who think that Mary or Miriam was a perpetual virgin, probably not based on what the text says. Uh, then they, uh, they go down for the taxation to the city of David because they're both from the line of David, and they have to pay taxes there, and they go to Bethlehem, the hometown of David, where they're going to pay taxes. There's no room in the guest house, uh, in the guest room, and so uh, for privacy, probably they say, go stay with the animals in the stable. Birth is uh, the Messiah is born. Uh, the the uh, shepherds come and adore him that night. They celebrate his birth that very night of his birth. Eight days later is his circumcision, which Luke talks about. He goes to be circumcised from Bethlehem, apparently, to Jerusalem. Uh, it's about 10 kilometers uh, eight miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. So it wasn't a big trip. It was easily done. And, uh, or actually six miles. <laughs> like, six miles. I, don't, I don't work out very much, so that does not sound easy to me. But yeah. they would have been used to walking. So. Yeah, six miles, not a big deal. <laughs> okay. Uh, and maybe they took that donkey, you know. from <laughs> Right. Uh, and uh, so six miles, and uh, the baby there is circumcised, the Messiah is circumcised, and then at 30 days, according to Luke, that's when they meet Simeon uh, at his at his dedication. Uh, that would at, be also in Jerusalem. Uh, the, yes, uh, that was at the temple. Yeah, at the temple, uh, and so they go and they they go to Jerusalem again, probably still in Bethlehem, maybe still staying with that family. Uh, they go and have him dedicated, and then, as I said. You have verse 38, they, uh, they, they go back from Jerusalem to Galilee, to Nazareth. But what we know from Matthew is there is the visit of the wise men from the east. Uh, they come seeking the king of the Jews. Herod sends them there. Then there's the slaughter of the innocent. The angel warns Joseph, sends them away to Egypt. When Herod dies shortly thereafter, they go back. Now, this whole thing about... The Lord Jesus being an immigrant, he was not an immigrant. He, they went to Egypt for a few months. Uh, it was just a very quick refugee status, uh, so that they could be safe. Then they came back, uh, not at all like the immigration and refugees that we have today. They they wanted to go back to Bethlehem for some reason, but in Judea, uh, Archelaus was reigning. It says in Matthew, and Archelaus made Herod the Great look like a nice guy, and so. He, you know, because Herod the Great had divided his kingdom into uh, among his sons, and Archelaus, Herod was there in in uh, Judea. So they said, "Ah, let's go back where Herod Antipas was reigning in Nazareth over Galilee." Herod Antipas was not a great guy either, but he wasn't as bad as Archelaus. So they went to Nazareth, and that's where they settled. Went back home, so to speak. They decided not to live in their ultimate hometown there. Bethlehem, the city of David, but they went back to the, where they were living in Nazareth. And that's sort of the chronology of what happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for that question, Judith, and thank you for that uh, answer. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, next question. Hmm. Uh, Maureen in Indiana listens to WMBI and wants to know in James 1 1, what is the dispersion? mentioned. Mm-hmm. So the verse says James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Yeah. It's in Hebrew the galut, the exile. 
uh, it's a technical term. Some people call it the diaspora. And it is the term that refers to Jewish people who were scattered abroad. It's mentioned, for example, in the the uh, book of the history of the Jews by Josephus. He talks about by the first century, there isn't any place where the diaspora in the known world had not reached, that Jewish people had scattered over the known world. They were in Rome. Uh, they were in Asia. They were... And you could see that in in the book of Acts. Just about every city that Paul goes to when he's preaching the gospel in Asia Minor and then all the way into Europe, where does he go first to preach the gospel? To the synagogue. And that's referring to the diaspora or the dispersion. My Bible, the I have an old HCSB right here, mm-hmm. and it says, uh, there's a footnote by dispersion. It says, Jewish people scattered throughout Gentile lands who spoke Greek and were influenced by Greek culture. They were Hellenistic Jews because of of that. And so uh, they were scattered abroad. So really the book of James, now remember what James' real name is. In Greek, Jacobus. In Hebrew, Yaakov or Jacob. So every time you see the word James in the Bible, just remember it really should be the book of Jacob. Uh, And Jesus should be Joshua? Yeah, Yeshua. Yeshua? Yeah. Is that the same as Joshua? Yeah, Yahushua, okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, oh. <laughs> I, I just want to keep the, the names we have, if I can yeah. keep those straight. But good. the thing is, Jesus really does relate. It's the Greek way of saying Joshua. Okay. But Jacob uh, in Greek is is Jacobus, yeah. and it is not James. There was a king in the about 1611 that apparently influenced the translators to take Jacob and make it James in the New Testament. Oh. So, uh, I see. Uh, yeah, it's not, the, James is the wrong name. But anyway, so here's uh, <laughs> Jacob, the brother of the Lord Jesus, and he's writing. He's the leader of the assembly of Jewish people in Jerusalem, the original Jewish community of faith uh, of believers in Jerusalem, the Jewish uh, it's the Messianic synagogue of Jerusalem or the church of Jerusalem, right? It's all Jews. And he sort of has a uh, overseer perspective as as uh, among Jewish believers around the globe, and he writes this book specifically to Jewish believers in the diaspora. That's what the book of Jacob or James is about. And he says that with his audience. And so just like the book of Hebrews before it, written to Jewish believers, but these were in Jerusalem in the book of Hebrews. In the book of James, they're written to the Galut, to the diaspora. Were they, were they um, diasporaed? Were they scattered because of choice or because of persecution, or was it kind of a mix of both? It's a mix of both. Okay. Uh, the, there was scattering that really began with the Jewish people going to Babylon, the exile, right, in 586 B.C., and before that, the northern tribes went to Assyria. And then what happened was many came back to the land of Israel, but not then others, because of circumstances, because of uh, persecution, because of economic opportunity, they scattered across the Roman Empire. Okay. And and that's what that's about. Okay. So all right. Thank you. Thanks uh, for that question, Maureen. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's so much uh, fun. To, to, I think, you know, sometimes I think it'd be great for everyone to take a course in Jewish history. 
Wouldn't yes. that be interesting? Yes. They yes, might understand be. the New Testament better. <laughs> anyway, sure. hey, thanks so much for those questions. We're going to come right back with more of your calls in just a moment. Uh, that was Trisha McMillan. I'm Michael Radelnik. We're going to be right back with more questions right here on Open Line. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm Michael Radelnik, and you guys were just listening to Trisha McMillan. Uh, she was uh, doing the mailbag, but I have a question for Trisha. Trisha, you live out sort of on the outskirts of Chicago, so there's some animals around you. Yes. Do you ever, and I know you have a, a pet dog, right? Two, yeah. Two. Ever get skunked? No, not yet. Oh, okay. No, when we lived further further in in a closer suburb um there was a skunk in our backyard one day and we like caught the dog so that she wouldn't run outside and accidentally scare it <laughs> and we just watched the skunk through our window and tried not to make any loud noises but i've not seen even i've not even seen a skunk where we live now further out well i'm going to tell you the story of uh the first time i had a dog that got skunked yeah uh because it makes me think of this chosen people offer okay okay uh so when about 25 years ago, I was going to speak at a conference for Chosen People Ministries in New York City, and we had to catch an early flight. And even I get up really early, I let the dogs out in the yard, and we had two dogs, and we had a collie, and she came back in. And man, I thought, she smells. Well, she found a skunk, skunk oh. at about 5 a.m. in our backyard. She got skunked, and it was a big mess because we had to catch a flight. My 17-year-old son at the time said, I'll take care of this. I'll, I'll get her cleaned up. But, I mean, she, she went in the house. She was rolling around on the carpet. She, was, you know, she went upstairs to our bedroom before we got her, and she rubbed against our bedspread. Uh, uh, it was just a mess. So, actually, I had to go because I was going to speak, even had to stay to take care. And then, finally, when she finally got things under control, she caught a later flight because my son really did take charge and take care of it. But uh, And I remember it was about 20 minutes before I was on to speak at this conference in midtown Manhattan, and Eva rolls up in a cab, <laughs> and she didn't miss hearing me speak, which, I, you know, she probably didn't need to hear me speak, but nevertheless. But anyway, it was the name of that conference in 1999 was called To the Jew First in the New Millennium. And it was all these speakers talking about this very important principle uh, of to the Jew Jewish people especially, which is what the gospel is. And it was sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. And I was one of the speakers. And then they took the messages, and we had to write them up as chapters, and they made a book called To the Jew First in the New Millennium. Well, it's 25 years. Is this book still relevant? Uh, yes, and not because of the skunking of my dog, Tricia. <laughs> but, <laughs> but because th those verses really teach God's heart for reaching the Jewish people all, not just Romans one sixteen, but everything that was covered in that book, teach God's heart for reaching the Jewish people with the good news. And I was so happy when I was told that that's what this month's special offer, special gift from Chosen People Ministries is. Uh, this book, which is about 24 years old now, uh, called To the Jew First in the New Millennium. Well, we're, we're a quarter of the way through the new millennium, but of, of the century, this century. Uh, but nevertheless, I think it's still a really worthwhile book, and people can get it for nothing, for free. 
It's, it's theirs. It's a gift from Chosen People Ministries, and it's on our website. Uh, all they have to do is scroll down to go to openlineradio.org, scroll down to the bottom. Uh, as you come down, you'll see a link that says uh, a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, put in the information, and you will get a, a wonderful book, authors like uh, of chapters by Walter Kaiser, Daryl Bach, uh, Mitch Glazer, and many others that it's just a terrific book and uh and even a chapter written by me which was before i really knew how to write and so it was like a very academic chapter but i think it's still good uh nevertheless it's uh it's it's available and uh i think people would really enjoy it again openlineradio.org scroll down free gift from chosen people ministries trisha's writing this down so that she can get a copy and She'll think of my dog being skunked every time, but it's a great book. Doesn't smell, so there we go. Anyway, uh, it's it's uh, it's something that I think you would really value. Anyway, I want to I want to know if your dog ever got skunked because every time I think of this book and that conference, I think of my collie, right, Lucy. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's that was kind of funny. So anyway, let's uh, let's talk to uh, Stanley in New Liberty, Iowa, on WDLM. Yeah, thank you, Doctor Redonak. Um, I have a question about um, the, the dating of Christ's birth. I've been doing a little study, and you know, you can use. Uh, but j- earth, just do you want, um, do you want to know what I think about when the Lord Jesus was born? Yeah, the date. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I know. Yeah, okay. I don't, I don't know. If you can nail it down. Yeah, I I think the uh, the best thing to understand is that Herod the Great died in four B.C. So sometime in the early part of the year of 4 B.C. Uh, is likely when the Lord Jesus was born. Uh, and then uh, so some people would say as early as 7 B.C., but I think 5 or 4 B.C. Uh, would be the date of the birth of the Lord Jesus. And that when, they, when they calculated it all, uh, they, they got it wrong at first and they got it to zero, but... Uh, really about 4 B.C. is the date, maybe 5, of the birth of Lord Jesus. That's the first hour, everyone. Second hour is coming up in just a moment. Stick with us. Uh, you can check out our webpage during the break, which is openlineradio.org. All sorts of links there that will help you. You can see about how to become a kitchen table partner, how to get our current resource, uh, even how to get the chosen people offer. All these great things there, plus past programs. Uh, I think you'll really uh, enjoy taking a look at it. Second hour of Open Line coming up straight ahead with more of your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.